Hello and welcome to Michael Rain's Outdoor Lives podcast. This is a podcast aimed at mountain leaders, mountaineering instructors, anybody really with an interest in the hills. We cover a whole range of topics. We cover people who work in different aspects of the upland environment. We talk to land managers, landowners, but we also talk to providers of courses. We talk to to botanists, to biologists, you name it. Um, We try and cover the widest possible range of interests that we can in the upland environment. And listen, if there's anybody who you would like us to talk to, and all you got to do is drop us a line and uh, we'll see if we can fix up an interview with that person. These podcasts come to you in two ways. They come to you on Spotify, which is free to air, and they will be on Spotify for around six months' time. They'll sit there so you can take your time and listen to them as and when you wish. Also, uh, they are on Patreon, and you can get the ad-free version on patreon.com forward slash Mike Rain. What's important about the Patreon version is they are immediately uploaded to Patreon. So whereas on Spotify, you have to wait for next week's episode to be released at weekly intervals on Patreon, you get the episode as soon as it's released without adverts. So uh, take a look at that. If you can't remember that address, then just go to my website, mycrane.co.uk. Very easy to find, mycrane.co.uk. Have a look at the workshops on there. Have a look at the books in the shop. Both my books have sale there. The Mountain Leader, A Practical Manual and The Nature of Snowdonia. Um, and, of course, I'm sure you found me on Facebook on Notes from the Hill. So, Facebook Notes from the Hill, mycrane.co.uk, patreon.com forward slash mycrane. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the Outdoor Lives podcast. This is Mike Rain here. My guest today is Paul Poole. Paul Poole is an accredited practitioner of outdoor learning, mountaineering and climbing instructor and a winter mountain leader holder. I should say we are recording this in one of our favourite places. <laughs> We're in Kaplakurig, which is a place we both spend a lot of time with. And we'd like to say unusually, but you perhaps don't believe me, it is absolutely chucking it down so we've got a really good day for just sitting in the car and chewing the cud so paul welcome to the podcast how are you today yeah i'm good thanks mike i'm enjoying the weather the classic default weather of north wales at the moment paul it's probably best just to start with um, your company and what you do paul pool mountaineering yeah, so basically, uh, I've been in the industry for like nearly 30 years, and I've worked for all these organisations, I suppose, like local authorities, charities, expedition companies, private companies, and they got to a point where I wanted to work for myself, and that's kind of a bit of a brave world. I jumped into it probably about 14 years ago now, and now I've morphed into like a, a mountain person. So I used to do some paddle sports stuff as well and water sports, um, never very good at it, kind of generally drowned a lot. So I thought, no, I need to leave that alone. And I've become like, um, I suppose my passion is the mountains. I've always enjoyed going up and down and that's kind of like what I offer. So generally walking, climbing, scrambling, summer and winter and whether it's teaching or guiding, um, 
mostly in North Wales, but sometimes I sort of like pop up to Scotland, poach, do a poaching run up to Scotland, and then I also run some guided trips overseas as well. Gosh, so there's quite a wide range of things there. Um, and people who are listening might just, how do you make that into a business? You know, what? what's your, what's your nine to five job? How does it work? <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't really have a, a Monday to Friday nine to five. I guess it's just all year round. I often joke that I don't actually know what day of the week it is <laughs> and, and <laughs> I live by my calendar and there's definitely been recent days where I've been on the hill and I believe it's a Tuesday and someone's telling me it's a Saturday so it's a, it's a tricky one to balance and I think a lot of folk will see a website and then will see me deliver on the hill but actually there's an awful lot of work that goes behind the scenes so I spend a considerable amount of time at home um, working on a website or planning for like next year like at the moment I'm planning for 2025 which is a long way away but I sort of need to look forward and that all takes time so it's a bit of a hard graft but I'd rather put the effort into my own stuff um, and get the reward from that than work for somebody else. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like me though, Paul. <laughs> it's that, um, oh, can you do this next week? And I mean, <laughs> do you mean this week next year? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you have to be that far ahead, don't you? And all that PR stuff, just you have to do everything, don't you? Yeah, it's, it's, I, think, I think I get some emails and messages sometimes and I think people generally think there's me and a team uh, that work on the administrative side or, or deliver and it, it isn't at all it is just me and um, you know I might do a, a nine to five type day on the mountain and then I'll go home have some scoff and then probably do like an hour or two hours work in the evening as well and that can be quite regular mm. uh, especially during the busy periods because you're having to work and then you're having to come home and react to like emails and questions and, and planning for the future etc so yeah but but the flip side is I get an inordinate amount of time off and so um, that allows me to go and like relax, chill out but also go and do my own adventures as well. Do you, how do you do that? Do you block time off? Do you say right I don't work this <laughs> month or? I never used to, <laughs> no. I used to just take opportunities that popped up but uh, I think as, as we sort of like career along in our age and get a bit older then like yep yeah, I'm now looking ahead, I block time off in my calendar so for example next year I have a number of like uh, patches of time that I've blocked off and unfortunately the shop is closed you know even if something pretty good came along for work I would I need to sort of be strict with myself and stick to that time frame because otherwise I just you know you can easily work all year round mm -hmm. but I generally need that time off. Um, one of the reasons I hear about you a lot Paul is because I run further professional development for mountain leaders and it's surprising how often your name is mentioned so <laughs> is the um, is the mountain leader or the mountain training course are their mainstay of the business um i'd say it's it's sort of probably half and half i mm -hmm. think like uh, the year sort of pans out for me sort of from easter uh, around certainly around the school holidays yeah a lot of people want to do the leadership awards specifically the ml so around easter march i tend to sort of open up the ml door and do quite a bit around that time frame and then leading into sort of May through to September, there's a whole range of stuff, quite a lot of climbing, mountaineering, um, a couple of ML courses, but generally like um, more of like the teaching and guiding around sort of skill type activities. And then coming back into the autumn, 
yep, um, <laughs> the weather is worse and people love an ML <laughs> when the weather's bad. So kind of like hitting into that October half term through towards maybe November, beginning of December, quite a bit of ML and refreshers and stuff like that. And then I've had enough of that weather by then and I tend to sort of zip across overseas somewhere try and get as much blue sky and uh, sunshine as I can from like December through to, or sometimes October actually, October through to sort of February. And you're leading a trip to Nepal next week, aren't yes. you? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally like this time, uh, where are we, Friday, yeah, so in a week's time I'll be sat in Kathmandu uh, in a nice t-shirt, in a garden, sinking a nice Everest beer hopefully. Is that climbing, trekking? <laughs> this is, yeah, it's a trekking trip next uh, next uh, month and we, traditionally I've, I suppose I've gone to the Kumbu a lot and uh, done lots of variations around there. This year we're off to do the circuit of Manasalu, it's oh, a, kind nice. of a fairly new area for me um, but it seems to be uh, much more authentic, you know, Kumbu's come along a lot in the last yeah. like, 20 odd years I've been going and Manasalu's definitely seems to have that authenticity still, hasn't quite got as busy, and so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Sounds like that. It's not something I've ever done, but I do remember some advice from uh, a guide who'd done lots of it, and he'd say the way to do it is to, you've heard of a particular trek, <laughs> go in the next valley. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. It, it yeah. sounded like really good advice. It's very true. I mean, the, the main Kumbu sort of like uh, trek up and down to EBC, is pretty busy now um, in all sorts of different ways yeah. and literally if you just go left and right into the valleys next to it as you say like it's so much quieter and and probably like um, even better in some respects I mean the EBC that sort of back end of like um, that valley is incredible but like if you zip across to Gokyo um, it just that's probably one of my favorite valleys up there mm. to be honest and so much quieter Sounds good. So coming back to here, you're obviously doing a broad spectrum of things mm. and a lot of people would see working on mountain training courses as one of the peaks of what we do, plus leading international treks. How, how did you come to be doing it? <laughs> how did it happen? It, it didn't just happen overnight, did it? No, and I don't think this is the answer anyone's going to want to hear, but dog walking is probably, um, <laughs> probably how I got into it. Um, I, I grew up with like big dogs, you know, boxer type dogs. Oh, yeah. and so. I was always out as a nipper with my parents, you know, regardless of the weather, they needed exercise and we'd always be walking across the fields and through the woods. And then I happened to live um, sort of on the green belt, I suppose, and so I was really lucky to be in the woods myself. So we, me and my mates were always like riding our bikes and falling out of trees and all that sort of stuff as nippers do. So I guess I kind of always had like the outdoors in me. I probably hated dog walking in most days, to be honest, especially when it was wet. But kind of that's what happened. Went to school, school was good. Um, I suppose I'm quite objectively focused. It was quite a tough school. Um, head teacher was pretty pretty fierce. And so we sort of towed the line. I did quite well. Went to college. College was the opposite. I sort of quickly realized that um, they weren't that bothered, I suppose. I'm not suppose that's the best way of um, putting it. But uh, I realized that if I turned up and registered, and they weren't too worried if you didn't really turn up the rest of the day. So I kind of like lived a bit of a party life for a couple of years and didn't do too well, surprisingly. Left, um, went to work. So I joined John Lewis Partnership, oh, wow. actually. Yeah, it was pretty mm. good. I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Mm. I didn't know what to do. So I joined it as like a trainee manager thing. But like after about six months, I realized I really wasn't very good at managing people <laughs> in that type of environment. So. 
I, I shut off traveling. I bought a one-way ticket oh, to wow. Australia and um, and I shut off traveling and I spent like about three years just mooching around and um, sort of walking, I don't know, I just walked everywhere. Yeah. I never I never really got um, vehicles and taxis and transports and buses. I just generally walked everywhere. So this is in Australia? Australia and I went up through Southeast Asia, oh, wow. China, uh, Central Asia. Big places. Yeah, so I kind of spent a lot of time wandering around mountains, volcanoes and jungles. Um, didn't know what I was doing, but just followed trails and it was yeah. a beautiful time because there was no internet, everything was guidebooks, so more, more actually, probably more importantly was the community of people, there was a yeah. massive backpacking community, and so I kind of like really enjoyed it, and eventually I came back, um, and I was... You were in your early 20s doing Yeah, that, so just yeah. going to my yeah. early 20s, and um, I was quite tired from travelling I suppose, yeah. um, you know, lack of food and lack of electricity, yeah. there is a point where it sort of wears down a little bit, and I went back to the sixth form college because there was a lady there when I was there who used to drive us down the motorways to the mountains and yeah. sort of DV and um, and Dartmoor spent a lot of time there trekking and stuff and backpacking and wild camping thoroughly enjoyed it so I went back and said could I help yeah and I think there was ulterior motives because I had grandfather rights to minibus driving so I think she <laughs> saw me as a, a valuable resource and anyway we, we just went on all these journeys <clears throat> and eventually um, I remember she chucked me out in Dartmoor once and she went off you go and it was my first time out with a group on my own not qualified wow. but different sort of era and she was like see you later yeah and then eventually said she's going to do your ML and I'd only really heard of it as this sort of this elevated thing <laughs> and you know like miles away I could never achieve it and so on and then like that sort of opened up that door I then realized this is this whole industry and so I went to like taught myself how to paddle um, I'm from Hampshire, so there's no rivers really in Hampshire, mm. so we used to paddle on flat rivers, but then use the weirs. <coughs> Not necessarily the best place to learn, but yep, yep. We, we paddled a lot on the weirs. Um, again, drowned a lot, but survived. <laughs> Learned to climb. Um, we started indoor climbing, and then um, my first outdoor trad experience was down at Swanage. Mm. A buddy and I, we'd nicked a rack from his work. We'd gone down to, I think, Subliminal, mm. Aberdeen. Um, didn't know what we were doing. What a great place to start your climbing. <laughs> we managed to get out, and then I think we realised that we, we just didn't have a clue what we were doing, <laughs> but somehow we survived. And so um, so I think through all that process, I started to realise this is industry, wrote lots of letters, um, and then I started working within Hampshire County Council, oh, doing yeah. lots of like individual jobs, like a floor walker at a wall, cow shop wall. Um, doing some teaching there and then I picked up a, a bit of a part-time job at a local college running lots of DV yeah. so I went with it I wasn't qualified then but I went with it we used to 20 plus trips a year Dartmoor, Exmoor, yeah. South Wales, North Wales just an amazing time absolutely amazing and then um, my first sort of real job I suppose was with Outward Bound down in Aberdovey oh yeah yeah um, and, and I, even to this day, I still say that's the best full-time job I've ever had. Yeah. Such an amazing place, right? Great people to work with, great organisation, yeah. really encouraging. And I generally think, I, you know, a lot of my base skills um, I developed there and got taught there. Yeah. So, like, yeah, Outward Bound, amazing place. And that's kind of... And then from there, I just sort of morphed into North Wales. It's a natural, natural journey and worked for a few companies and then started doing my own thing. 
Well, I think that's a good place just to take a break. If it excuses yeah. for a minute, folks, we'll be back shortly. Popple Mountaineering is easily found on the internet, the websites there. Um, he runs all sorts of courses. Obviously, the mountain leader courses are popular, but there's a lot of mountain leader refresher courses on there as well, and uh, it's worth looking out for those. Another aspect of Paul's work is the rock climbing instructor training and assessment, and again, rock climbing instructor refreshers. He runs away courses to Sky, Morocco, and uh, just after the recording of this podcast, he's heading out to Nepal. You can book Paul for rock climbing, scrambling, Scottish winter days or Welsh winter days or, or guided days anywhere. I think you'll agree Paul's very good company and one of the reasons I was attracted to um, doing a podcast with Paul was the feedback I get from people on my workshops who've been trained and assessed by Paul. So uh, do look up Paul's website, paulpoolmountaineering.co.uk. Really easy to find. And um, there might be something there that's tickles your fancy. Welcome back, folks. This is part two of the Outdoor Lives podcast with Paul Poole. Paul, you've moved to uh, Abu Dhabi Outwards Bound, and you're obviously having a really good time there, really formative experience. Uh, it's certainly a lot of things I recognise from my formative experience working in centres. Was that the move to Snowdonia then? Did you stay in Areri after that uh, and make it your home? Yeah, exactly. I think the choice to move to Outward Bound Abu Dhabi um, was a big one. I, I was obviously going to work my way up to the mountains at some point and the lakes of Scotland were on the radar. Mm. I think Scotland was <laughs> the midges put me off. Yeah. I hit them early and I was like, oh yeah, it's not good. How do you work up here? Um, and then lakes... I don't know, I, <clears throat> I just think that North Wales for me just had so much more to offer, mm -hmm. specifically around the mountains. And, and like the, the, the job at Abu Dhabi came up and I was like, I'm in. And that's where I went. And then um, after a while, I think there was just a natural evolution to m move up to a bit further north. And I moved um, Pemacno. Yeah, oh, Pemacno yeah. was the first place I rented up there. Yeah. And then started freelancing. Um, which is really tricky, um, yeah. which is really hard. I was an un completely unknown. It took a lot of time to sort of like get yeah. into some doors. And then um, and then picked up a work with Outlook Expeditions. Oh, yeah. So back in the day. And so they'd only literally just started. I think I was like employee number seven or something. Wow. Yeah, so back in the early days, very back of the fag packet um, sort of way of doing things. But it was exciting, like proper adventuring. Yeah. And then stayed with them for a few years, popped out to the Middle East, did some work out there for a while. The same sort of work, um, but just in a massively different environment. Mm. And I'd been to the Middle East loads before, so still it's still a good visit and still passionate about that area. And then and then started my own business. And then literally, I think I just woke up one day and was like, yeah, I'm not working for anyone else again. And my, my diary closed to everyone. And it wasn't like a, a piecemeal way of doing it I literally was like woke up and was like not working for anyone again and um, yeah the first year or two was really tough mm. uh, I was a bit pig headed about it but I was like no this needs to this needs to happen yeah and um, and the net result is you know an amazing journey I've been on in the last sort of 10 12 years how did you do that how did was it before social media or was social media 
helped to drive that business growth? How yeah. did you make it happen? Yeah, really good question. So social media was around. Um, I don't think it was really a big part of our lives in any shape or form. And I don't recollect it being um, a primary way of like driving the business as such. Yeah. And it still was in an era of like advertising in magazines and posters and um, getting yourself out there at shows etc and, and presenting yourself and I think that was kind of like the way I drove it for a first few years and I was still like I was tinkering a little bit with social media because I was aware of what's coming up and then and then it's sort of yeah it's sort of then the social media side then morphed into something quite big mm. um, probably in the last sort of seven or eight years I guess but yeah the first few the first few years was you know proper old school you presumably you build a website. You put ads in magazines. <laughs> yeah, the website is um, the website was a challenge. I mean, I'm not particularly IT aware, um, and a lot of things I've had to learn over the years. And I'm probably on like version six or five or six now, I think. Um, and every now and again, I have a little update on it. Yeah. But um, yeah, but but I think that's part of the journey that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, I enjoy the mountains quite clearly but that other element of building a business you know I don't didn't know much about business I didn't know much how to build something and I certainly didn't know anything about websites and, and I've really enjoyed that part of that journey did you bring any lessons over from the John Lewis partnership on that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I was always like always I was always getting told off on that because like we were supposed to, I do remember we were supposed to keep diaries and journals and I was always like getting called up for like never filling anything in so I'm not sure <laughs> Brilliant. So what's special about what you do now, Paul? Why do you keep doing it? I think there's there's um, there's one... Well, there's three things that sort of drive me, and there's one big one that really drives me, and it's, it's called opportunity. I've always believed in opportunity, and it's primarily because I think at Sixth Form College, there was a, a last there teacher, lecturer, who gave us the opportunity to jump in a minibus in our sort of yeah. army surplus gear and then drive somewhere pretty cool and then go legging it around the mountains or the moors. And I think that is kind of what is really instilled in me. It's about giving that opportunity to somebody, to whether they want to like just access it, experience it, um, become more self-confident in it. Um, and like now, like I have this sort of amazing opportunity that like if people come to me and they come out for their first mountain walk ever, and then we could end up in the Himalayas or the greater ranges in a number of years time. We go on this massive journey. So it's just about an opportunity That's to lovely. share it. And I think, um, you know, I come from a center based work. And so I've worked with lots of young people over the years, you know, week in, week out, residentials, multi-activity. Um, and I'm still very passionate about that young person. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I don't work with young people anymore. Um, I think it's primarily because I just don't have a big enough house to store the kit. Yeah. Um, I just can't manage it. But like, I, I think with the the fate of like a lot of outdoor centres closing, um, we all understand the benefits. Um, and it's also like the passage of growing up. You know, it's like you grow up and you go on a school trip, and that's a, a rite of passage. Mm. You know, there's so much fun in like learning that you may not realise, but it's just. It just should be should really be the memorable passage. days, aren't they? Yeah, and now I have this amazing opportunity to like work with people, specifically with the ML, for example, Mountain Leader Award, who will then go on and take these young people out, whether it's through guides or DV yeah. or cadets or youth projects. So I still feel that like 
I have that connection. And then the last thing is people. Yeah. Um, there's a theme here, I think, people. Definitely. Um, <laughs> I, I've just met so amazing, many amazing folk over the year. Lots have become good friends. Um, I wish I'd sort of kept a diary of all like the, all of them really. Oh, so do I. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I know exactly what you mean, Paul. It's just, I mean, I was out with someone the other day, and and we were just chatting about concrete. I know it's a bit random, but like, um, <laughs> and and a sustainable building, and I just, I don't know much about it. But you're yeah. just always meeting these incredible people, and you're just almost like walking encyclopedias in their own industries yeah. and great personalities, and you just soak up this information. I've always thought I want a little database of everybody yeah. I've met so I can go back to that conversation and see how things are going, but my memory just isn't good enough. No, totally. I <clears throat> I remember being on one of these um, sort of management development days many, many moons ago, and the person who was delivering it talked about what's your excitement feature in your job? What yeah. excites you? And I think that is it. You know, the excitement feature for me, or one of them, is yeah. people. And I... Um, I get quite nervous about you know meeting new people because you never quite know what's yeah. going to happen for the day. But then, like <clears throat> as you meet people and you um, have a cup of coffee and yeah. you start chatting, that's kind of where that excitement feature of the job comes in. So people, I, I really want to emphasise how important what Paul's saying is there because you know I've spoke to people who want <coughs> to be climbing instructors or mountain leaders and. They haven't got it always. They want to be a climbing instructor because they're good at climbing and they like climbing. Mm. It's not enough. You have to have an interest in people. What we do, be it climbing, walking, mountaineering, paddling, anything, it's as much about people and place as it is about the activity. So really, really wise words from Paul there, folk. Take them away. So what's special about the way you do this, Paul? <laughs> um, I think... I generally, when I started my business, I kind of just wanted to deliver the work. I never wanted to like have a staff team. Yeah. And there was a point a few years ago where um, work was increasing, and I was like, "Well, this is the time, you know. Mm. If I'm going to do it, I could employ somebody part time or something." And and you know, I, I reflect back on like perhaps what I said earlier. I'm not very good at managing people in this type of like um, situation, you know, like employees. That's not what mm. I want to do. And I never have wanted to do. So I always set out to like deliver everything and that comes with problems because yeah, it gets quite yeah. tiring but I always want to deliver the course and I think that's the important thing. If you're going to come to me, you're going to get access to me. Now that, that has to change a little bit specifically around the Mountain Leader Award because I, I've got a couple of good friends who support me on those and they are starting to take on a little bit more of that because we're just, you know, we're very popular. Um, and I can't physically deliver them all. Yeah. But I always aim, if, if nothing else, I always aim to turn up and say hello. But everything is always delivered me. I think the other thing is that, like, I've always seen, I've always wanted to adapt to what folk want. So, and I think that just comes from my, my background working in outdoor centres. And I suppose um, diversity is probably like the modern way of describing yeah. it. But adapting has always been at my heart. You know, someone rocks up, someone doesn't have something or has a requirement, and I've always seen that as a way, it's always been my job to then adapt to, like, um, fulfil, like, what everyone's aspirations are. And I've never seen it as an issue, and I see it as, like, another excitement feature of the job. Um, and I think that's kind of, like, um, where a lot of things get lost these days. I see a lot of folk who be like, no, you, you know, if someone turns up without this, then it can't happen. And I'm like, well, 
I disagree. I feel that like that's our job to adapt to like um, the, the situation that's presented to us. To make it work, there are variables to make in the work. system, aren't there? Of course, uh, yeah, the yeah. activity, the place, and yeah. the people. They can all be varied to suit. Can't totally. They? I mean, ultimately, I think like what's special is that it's pretty simple. I just want to like rock up to work and enjoy my day, and, and hopefully that comes across in most of the things I do. Well, I, I believe it does. But my, my question to you would be about the challenge of you trying to do everything using a small group of people to help you out you have to have two members of staff mm. on an ml traditionally how how do you know you're still doing it right uh, i know you get good feedback but everybody is in a nice time when they come for a walk with us how do you keep up to date how do you do your cpd how do you um do you know change things it's hard to change things isn't it when you've done a, a good product for a long time and people like it mm. how do you develop your work yeah it's, it's a good question i think um I think it's really important that change does happen. I mean, um, I'm a bit pig-headed around some things, <laughs> that's for sure. But I'm also very reflective. So, you know, sometimes if someone has a, a um, someone wants to change something, then, you know, I'm, it, I might need to save a seed for a while and think yeah. about it and, and, and work out how we're going to do that. But I think it's really important that we stay up to date. I work alone a lot. Um, and then with a couple of friends who work on the ML courses, we are tight unit uh, but we're also quite a closed unit and so mm -hmm. it's really important that we then like uh, make sure that we're delivering to the right standard and that's kind of like done through a number of ways so a updating ourselves so the last few years i've been on a few matter expert workshops like yeah. self mike and a few others you know making sure that like i am actually delivering the right thing i do know what i'm talking about and actually probably like filling the gaps you know I don't know it all at all yep. and I'm always keen to sort of try and fill the gaps or understand why. I think we also have a responsibility to um, attend uh, provider workshops so you know I'm contracted by uh, MTC, mm -hmm. Matter Training Cymru and um, I'm required to like attend some workshops every now and again and I tend to try and go every year. It's not a requirement every year but yeah. I tend to go, try to go every year and I really love going along because it just... Um, the main thing for me is the end of the day that I walk away and go, yeah, we're in the right place, we're delivering the right level, yeah. or like, actually, we need to change this, or that was a really good idea that person said, maybe we could bring that in as well. Mm. Um, it's not always about change, is it? Often no, it's no. about reassurance, just making sure you're in line. I think that's really important. People sometimes forget that. Yeah, totally. I think, um, I think, I think specifically around that type of award, it's yeah. so important that like the standard is consistent across everyone, and so those type of workshops are exactly what that's about. It's about discussing, you know, what type of knot would be, you know, acceptable or not acceptable, for example. Yeah. What are the challenges, Ella? <laughs> Lots. Um, so there's ob the obvious variables like the rain coming down today. Um, Covid's been like the big one, I suppose. Um, this last few years. Um, so those are the things that we don't have control over, but you just, again, you have to adapt, you have to work around. Um, probably the big challenge is people. Um, you know, as, as well as an excitement feature, it's also the big challenge. Yep. Um, and I generally think probably 80% of my challenges come from people. But I, I see that as an excitement feature. Again, you know, I, something that's sort of like, I really enjoy the challenges of what are presented to me. So, so for example, <laughs> you'll like this one so recently and i'm and i know this person won't mind me sharing this story because it was a good laugh 
but we had a, an ML assessment and I've worked with this person quite a bit over the years yeah. so I totally trust them and um, they we did the first two days on the assessment and then I was at home and then the expedition was going to be delivered by one of my friends so I sat at home I had a glass of wine it was about 10 o'clock at night I get a text from this person saying they've forgotten their expedition rucksack so I replied no problem at all I've got a spare don't worry and then they replied saying no I don't think you've read my text properly I've forgotten my expedition rucksack which contains my tent my sleep bag my stove oh. and so like um, I tend to see a funny side in a lot of things yeah. so I had a good chuckle to myself and I was like don't panic and we sorted it out between us we sorted it out the next day and they were obviously mortified yes. um, for all sorts of reasons and they sent me a photograph of their nicely packed rucksack when they got home oh. um, and it was just an honest mistake and we've all been there and done it um, but I think there's challenges like that that like definitely throw you a curveball yeah, but I kind of like um, but I really, but I kind of enjoy them, and I think like, you know, around the weather, um, I have this sort of perverse enjoyment. I do actually like tough weather and mm. rough weather. I like going out. I like being physically challenged, and again, it's just um, another way that keeps all keeps me happy. Not necessarily every day. I like a bit of sun. I yeah. love a bit of yeah. blue sky. But I do like a bit of like physical challenge as well. There's a weird coming alive, isn't there, when <laughs> yeah. the weather's bad, yeah, and, and you're in the, your little hood cocoon, and I know exactly what you mean. And there's certain people <laughs> I go out in the hills with who who really respond well to it, and, yeah. and we actually have quite an adventure. So um, you've got to embrace it, haven't you? Yeah, there is a limit, though. I oh yeah, probably probably in winter. <laughs> I've had a few moments to myself where. I'm sort of knee deep in snow and it's raging and I'm sort of on my knees and knackered and I'm like, come on, just give us a break, yeah, please. Wet, wet just snow is give us a break. Stuff. But yeah. it is enjoyable. So you like a bit of bad weather. <laughs> you like <laughs> doing all the work yourself. You like being on a hill all year round. You like going and working abroad instead of going on holiday. Um, how's the body holding up, Paul? Did you say <laughs> you've been doing this for 30 years? Getting on for 30 years, yeah. Your oh, legs must be tired. Yeah. Oh god, aren't they? I think, um, <laughs> God, I think when I hit forty, I think that's kind of where it all went a bit wrong, really. <laughs> um, up until forty, um, yeah, you're invincible. I was you? invincible yeah. and yeah. literally like stretching. I didn't know what that was, yeah. and I remember going to see a physio uh, around then, and she was like, "Okay, that's fine. Explain to me what stretches you do." And I looked at her with this yeah. blank face, and she was like, "You don't do any, do you?" And no. I was like, "I don't know what you're talking about." and um, got a proper telling off and, and I think the last 10 years I've permanently every year I've been hanging on to an injury or dealing with an injury yeah. and then last year it sort of came crashing down a bit so I tore a meniscus quite badly mm. which is um, which is kind of like not good because like it, it, it didn't enable me to really work on the mountains and the warnings from the consultant and the physio were like this could go at any time and you know just, you won't walk just as i don't know is that in your knee the meniscus yeah it's in my knee it's like a shock absorber okay, basically yeah, yeah. and so it's a really important part very much so yeah and Sorry, Paul. um so if it went on the mountain i'd be airlifted out because there'd be no other way so Ouch. i went into this like panic um and it was just wear and tear it's just wear and tear and so thankfully i've got it I've, I've been stitched back up i've got like a new meniscus essentially and it's all repaired and you know i'm back on the hill but yeah. it got it got me thinking you know like it really got me thinking because i've had the wear and tear phrase thrown at me a number of times um over the years and I, having been in the industry for so long 
like I can't remember any individual organization no. ever telling me if you do this at some point in your life mm. then things will wear out and and these are the ways that you can help yourself now and perhaps even prevent it yep. and I think like it's a, a massive failing of the industry I think um, not even not once did anyone talk about the physiology of the body how it needs rest days what to do on those rest days how to fuel the body properly why sleep's important how to prevent injury why working long periods of time is less yep. than ideal and so on and through like like following a number of NGBs and again like I say like back in the day I used to do a lot of water sports and the BCU as it was then and there was nothing through any of that process that anyone ever like flagged up yeah. sort of saying look look after yourself I mean when going back a few years ago we used to work like some long long periods of time yeah. I think the longest is 28 days once without a break wow and you still see folk now who sort of hold their medals up every summer and go, oh, I've just done this long stint. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you're nuts. Yeah. You're absolutely nuts. Because long term, I can guarantee you that that's not going to be healthy. Yeah. And I've seen lots of scattergun approaches over the years, different organisations uh, putting leaflets out or like um, some advice, whether it's sun protection um, and so on. But what I don't see is like a joined up approach mm. by all these organisations and sort of trying to sing the same sort of message and getting that message out to folk coming into the industry. And I think that realisation came to me, you know, it's been coming to me over the last number of years, primarily because um, a few years ago I, my own circumstances changed and I need to think about how I protected myself better, you know, financially. So kind of like looked at all these insurances, uh, protecting obviously the, my work, but um, my short and long-term health, my income, my mortgage, and so on. And I think um, through that, and then with my recent sort of uh, meniscus injury last year, I was like, yeah, no one ever, no one ever, ever said that. And I spend quite a bit of time, or a reasonable amount of time, on certainly ML training courses, yeah. sort of just highlighting that like these are the things you need to perhaps think about specifically if you're self-employed yeah um and it's not just about having professional work insurance but there's all sorts of other things that you could have in place to protect yourself um and your income and your house and so on and simple things you know look after yourself so um i have now actively chosen not to work as much this year i manage i've had to manage my diary i'm very aware now that like in the next X years I could have another injury which put me out of action for three four months mm. and what I've got to do is pre prevent that so it's about managing the diary working for a few days having a few days of rest a few days of rest means rest it doesn't mean that I go and rag myself around the mountains or mm. go climbing but I actually need to like eat well sleep well rest that body allow the body to regenerate and it's all about that preventative idea of of allowing my body to like carry on doing this for as long as I can um, and um, I think um, that again you know just highlighting on that point it's worked out so well for me this year and I'm probably gonna like continue that sort of calendar idea yeah. next year and because of like everything I've had in place when I had this uh, meniscus pop up in the scan and the consultant was like yeah we need to operate like pretty quick because of what you do you know immediately like all this stuff goes through your head like how am I going to pay for this how's mm. this going to work how's that 
but because I had like all this stuff in place like insurances and like a nice little team who could like jump in really quickly yeah. and help me then like actually I came out of it okay and you know certainly from around my mental health it was really good because yeah. like there's a lot of like big curveballs that immediately happened and I managed okay and I got through it okay and now I'm sort of back on the mountain and, and performing you know as before so but it, it's like you say people are not ready for that are they it's, it's no. not really flagged up is it that one no. day you might be self-employed and you can't work I I went back through all the mountain training stuff for example all the syllabuses um, and all the guidance notes I've spoken to um, a couple of like water sport providers mm. uh, specifically around paddling um, I'm not sure about mountain, uh, mountain biking but around those two big yeah. chunky parts of the industry and there's nothing in any of the syllabuses mm. that kind of like go in any depth around this and I think that's almost a failing of like my personal view is that it's a mm. failing of like um, the, the, the industry the awards around that because it's, um, it's, it's simple isn't it if you're going to go in go up and down mountains every day of your life you're going to yeah. wear things out quicker and you have to put things in place to like manage that and, and 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 give yourself the opportunity to like last as long as you can it's really interesting that and i know when you do get cross-sector initiatives they're, they're often lost because it's another quango for want of a better mm, name isn't mm, it that, yeah, that's yeah. set up so it, it is it's a, a real challenge that one that's interesting paul yeah i remember um I remember the consultant was basically, <laughs> he used the analogy of a car, he's like, you own a car, you fill it up with fuel, you pair it, you, you hopefully service it, you might even occasionally clean it, so why don't you do that to your body? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's really true, it's really true. Yeah, maybe I'll start cleaning it. <laughs> uh, all right then, devil's advocate time. You're controlling the work you're doing there to maintain your fitness and health. But you also volunteer, Paul. You volunteer mm. on your days off yeah. as a Mountain Training Association uh, regional representative. How on earth do you have time for that? How does that fit into everything? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit easier now with my new calendar, I suppose. But um, So I was a member of MTA, Mountain Training Association, since its sort of um, initial start back in, I think it was like 2006, I think, off the top of my head. Or maybe it was later, yeah. I can't remember. Um, and then something popped up for North Wales and I was like, yeah, I fancy like um, helping. And I think it's about giving back. It's just for me, it's about giving back. And again, it comes back to that word opportunity. Yeah. So like without folk who give back, then like the, the association wouldn't function in terms of like all of like, um, its offerings yeah. and events and, and peer member type stuff. And I've been doing it for about 10 years now. And generally it's through the winter months and generally it's like finding something that's a bit different, using my contacts, using people like me, um, hoodwinking people into like mm. offering to something to the membership uh, and maybe it's something around subjects that like are, are fairly normal or fairly unique. So like this coming winter we have like our Ogwin Mountain Rescue are uh, been really good over a number of years hosting yeah. us and visiting the base. We have a Welsh language walk being um, arranged with Sidonia Society, which yeah. is really exciting. Um, we have a PPE uh, inspector, like, you know, if you've got your climbing harness, you know, how, how long do you use it for? How long mm -hmm. did you last it for? How long does it last? And so, gonna have an even with that person, as, lo as well as long as like the traditional sort of skills practice, like night nav and stuff. But I think um, it's a just fantastic, for me, the, the, the association is a really supportive 
vehicle for focus on an ML journey and continuing your development beyond yeah. the assessment. Yeah. So whilst, yeah. when, when you're qualified, you know, we don't know everything, I don't know everything, and they offer this fantastic range of events over the, the year around the UK. We can always keep learning. I think that's really important, Paul. And uh, something else, it sort of harks back a bit to what I was saying about keeping up to date mm. and the way the mountain leader, lowland leader, hill and moorland leader have developed, putting a lot more emphasis on leadership at the moment, mm. aren't they? Is that something that you're tackling through these uh, extra CPD events? Is it something that you've built into your training and assessments? How are you, how are you managing that shift um, to more emphasis on leadership in the qualifications? Yeah, it's, that's, that's a good question. And I think it's important to sort of point the fact out that, yeah, it's always it's always been there in the syllabus. Yeah. Uh, it's just emphasised more now and it's made been made much more clearly uh, to uh, interpret within the syllabus uh, the candidate handbooks, for example. And I think um, we're not given any more time, so no. time is always really, we're always fighting for time on training and assessment courses uh, on the two leadership awards that I deliver. And it's never easy. Um, I tend to, I think we were, we were in a lucky position that we didn't have to adapt too much. We were already sort of delivering a, a fair range of like leadership topics and themes yeah. throughout certainly the training course and certainly on the assessment courses. We've just adapted a little bit, um, changed a few, few things around to make sure we encompass all the syllabus elements but in essence, um, it's, um, it's a tricky subject to cover. It's not something that like, I mean, you could have a, a six day course just primarily on leadership yeah. and take all the other elements out. So it is actually a really tricky thing to cover. And we spend a lot of time, I think, during the training course and delivering by example. So myself and the team like deliver by good example and demonstrate good leadership in that respect. Mm -hmm. You know, specifically around weather and making good decisions and why we're making those decisions yep. and, and reinforcing that point. And then we have a lot of really good discussions on the hill. I think the point I often make to folk is that like we there's a team of six folk on the hill. Uh, we have a, a scenario and through our own individual leadership styles we may all present a different solution, but they'd be all they'd be yeah. okay. They'd yeah. all be okay. They'd all be safe. They'd just be sometimes maybe more efficient one way or another. And I think that's the point. There's not necessarily like one black and white way to do it. Yeah. Um, I think there may be one or two you know examples where we could easily kind of go, yeah, that's exactly how we should all work. Um, but I think mostly um, it's just about using our individual common sense applying looking at the looking at the mountain the hazards and like thinking it through and, and working it through so it's a dynamic process isn't it and yeah I, and i like I we do do it it's something we have done and we do quite naturally it's just about making it a bit more obvious isn't it yeah so, um, exactly I, w I would say people coming on the the mountain leader scheme and and the other schemes you know the lone leader hill moor leader it's not something to worry about is it it's something that will flow quite naturally through the course exactly exactly Oh, sorry about that gap there. Um, the rain just got heavier. Paul, there's, there's quite a few people doing what you're doing in uh, Erori and, and across other parts of the country. Is it very competitive between mountain leader course providers here? 
Uh, yeah, I don't think it is, to be honest. <clears throat> I mean, like, we offer the same product. Um, I think we offer the same sort of date range and date price. And I think we all do our due diligence to make sure we're sort of all in the same sort of market area. But I think what's nice is that there's definitely been a number of times over the last couple of years that I've been unable to deliver something like tomorrow and you sort of bounce around the other providers and everyone just rallies too. You know, either they'll help, they'll try and help or they'll use some of their staff. And I think that's kind of like the community of providers. Yes, we're in, you know, we're in a sort of commercial market in that respect. But actually, it's really nice. And we share lots of ideas together. We'll often be like, oh, I saw you over there. Does that work? Mm-hmm. Um, or I need to go, I need to, I've got this person. I need to go somewhere. Where, you know, where have you been before? So this idea of sharing of um, locations, uh, opportunities, um, and a bit like what we were chatting about earlier, you know, working independently is quite closed. Yeah. And then as soon as you open that door and you sort of start asking questions with, you know, the wider community, and that's exactly, I think, how, like, the providers are up here. There's probably about eight, and maybe, I don't know how many there are, but maybe like six to eight of us up here. And, um, yeah, nice, nice team. Actually seems to strengthen the community rather than diverge it, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think think it diverges, dilutes or anything like that. And, um, you know, there definitely have been also occasions where if the numbers haven't quite played out, we'll, you know, we've passed them on to somebody else. Yeah, so there's good respect for each other. Exactly, yeah. How about the hills themselves? Um, Areni is a very popular place for running mountain training courses. It's a popular place for visitors. We see the hundreds, thousands of people on um, Arwitha every year. What are the threats to the uplands, Paul? Should we keep introducing people to them, encouraging people to go up there, or, or is it time to stop? Hey, the magic question. Um... I think the greatest threat is people. <laughs> it's a theme of people. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, I mean, like, um, there's just so many examples. I think the poorest example I've seen um, recently is um, an ML team through a provider, like actually camping in Commidwell. What? Yeah, which is like. Um, quite unbelievable really yeah. but there you go um, so I think people and it doesn't really matter which way you look at it you know we've created what we now have and so whether you look at it from a recreational point of view or a work point of view you know we have created it and <clears throat> I kind of always I suppose I, I try to look forward and I think well what's the solution and, and I know individually like um, and in small organisations there's lots of like initiatives and ideas going forward but for us for example I generally think there's a, for me, I've got like a, a, an idea of how perhaps it could work, but this joined up thinking needs to happen. So like landowners, visitors, farming community, national park, councils and so on. Just generally like, there's loads of like uh, initiatives and direction, but never seems to be very well joined up. Mm. Um, it always seems to be very disjointed. And I think like North Wales is, has so many examples of uh, of that. So the biggest one here is their the lack of like the way of the managing of vast number of visitors in the park. I mean, I think there's been um, you know there has been a spike or two in the last couple of years. I mean, this year's is definitely dropped a bit. Yeah. But the last few years, as a result, a direct result of COVID. But generally, if you go back over the last ten years or even longer there's been an ever-increasing number of visitors coming. So 
we were always going to get here. I think COVID's just accelerated where we've got to. Yeah. And it hasn't been hard to see. And I think, like, around um, this, this idea of disjointed, you know, the park put this idea a number of years ago about developing a 30-year plan of, like, how the park yeah. will look, how it's going to be managed. And they wanted to go through, like, a, a process of, like, uh, inviting everyone in locally and, and working through the problems, etc. And so that was, I can't remember when it started, but it feels like about 10 years ago. Yeah. And I'm not sure like 30 years is even long enough. I mean, why aren't we looking forward 50 years yeah. or 100 years? And so it just feels like it's very uh, ongoing and, and, and very reactive. I think that there's um, around that, that this sort of disjointed network, and there's a lot of like small initiatives, organisations that are doing great things small membership small finances similar pathways um you know good reasons for existing and shared ideas but it just all needs to be managed better and i was reading one of your blog pieces about paying farmers to leave some land alone for example mm. and i'm like there's some really cool examples around here like so there's a the road up different uh, mumba so from the brennan plaza brennan all the way up to uh, um yeah hotel as you go towards Penny Gurid, um, on both sides of the road, there is uh, the road, you have a narrow strip of land, five, ten metres wide, and then you have a, a, a barbed wire fence. Yep. As you get closer to the Penny Gurid, the, travelling in that direction, as you, uh, the fence peels away, and there's a strip of land about yeah. 50, 75 metres wide. All the way up that valley, between the road and the fence, there's this amazing, like, ecosystem that's sort of like emerging and yeah. I don't quite know why it suddenly exploded in the last few years there's definitely been something that's happened but the sheep can't get to it cattle aren't available we don't walk there because there's no car parks and no laybys yeah. so you have this little ecosystem and there's probably where the, where the road separates from the boundary and it's about 50 metres 75 metres wide there's probably about 100 at least 100 like new tree shoots coming through mm-hmm. and it's just incredible to watch it change over the last year or two like really quickly it's really interesting people don't realize that this is not a pristine natural wilderness no um, what we're looking at is a created landscape we we tend to like it mm. but the conservation argue we need a few more places like that roadside virgin i do recommend listeners to look out for that between uh Mumber and yeah uh, you can really see at the roadside what how things might be different were we to make different choices not Mm. it's not going to be a blanket thing is it but a few places where we could just mix it up a little bit would be lovely yeah i think like um it's not hard to see because you just look at the other side of the fence and there's just nothing so it's it's a sort of a startling um recognition you know this this whole idea of rewilding or re-nitring is is, needs to happen and i think like around it or like change is too slow you know you only have to look at what's happened in that specific place in the last few years versus the sort of the the greater picture in Kumidwal where you know there's this long-term project going on it's been there for I think 30 years Mm. now perhaps longer and yes it's pretty amazing what's happening there but it's pretty slow yeah it's pretty slow and we you know, we can affect change a little bit quicker by a couple of simple things. You know, put a little platoon of pigs in there, and you know, we'd mm. be doing really well. And I think, like, 
it was only maybe it was around covid where we became a bit more sensitive to like what's around us but that particular patch on the road on different member i'm yeah. like shocked at how quick it's just changing like yeah. not in the last 20 years but in the last two or three years hopefully with the new way we're paying farm support payments we will see a little bit more of that diversity mm, mm. i'm not sure um I think <laughs> it's like a probably top down, isn't it? Like if you if you went to the top, so um, you know we could uh, grab the ear of like our local politician, for example. But if you carry on up the chain, you know things are very disjointed mm. further up the chain. So it's sort of almost like it's sort of top down management, isn't it? Like things don't particularly function that well in some respects, and it seems to flow down quite uh, quite interestingly. I, I read a book, um, or read lots of books actually, but <laughs> this particular book um, was probably where I first sort of perhaps matured in my own views and ideas, but it was, it was uh, the Patagonia boss, oh, you go yeah. on, let my people go surfing, yeah. and his first paragraph, he's like, stop buying things, yeah. and, and I was like, oh, that's, and I, I, I kind of like, if I pick up a book in the first paragraph or two, if there's something cool or different yeah. or captures my attention i'm in if it doesn't capture my attention yeah. i think it's a bit like your book you know you wrote very early on about this is my opinion and i was like oh actually that's an interesting way of you know phrasing it so yeah. i think if you get me early so i read the book and and i'm thinking now if you understand what patagonia is doing about you know the company's now signed over and profit is now used to fight climate change mm. I mean, wow, you know, how powerful would that be if more folk, more companies didn't do like a piecemeal lip surface sort of a approach to offering money back, yeah. but actually did it for real. Yeah, it could be quite phenomenal. Yeah, it's leadership, isn't it? Leadership, yeah. And I think um, there's been so many examples of poor leadership over the last number of years, which... I'm fairly certain it's contributed to like some of the impact that we've seen um, here within the National Park over the last few yeah, years. Yeah, I agree, uh, but we better not get into a conversation about <laughs> populism. How does all this relate to mountain leaders, Paul? What's, um, how, how can mountain leaders be better informed, better able to help? What, what, what would you advise them to do? And you know, When they're bringing people out from particularly urban areas, you know, they've got the whole future of the uplands in their hands. Mm, mm. What do mountain leaders, and I mean, you know, mountaineering instructors, hill and moor leaders, everybody, what do we need to be better at? How do we do that? Yeah, that's quite a meaty, a meaty question. For me, yeah, don't go camping in Commidwell. That'd be a good one. Yeah, that'd um, be a good start. <laughs> um, Education is a biggie for me. I mean, I suppose I, I come from an educational background, um, so I kind of like informing people well, but with depth of information, not just yeah. surface level. So if you're going to go and do something, do it properly. Don't just sort of like, you know, scratch the surface. And so, you know, a good example at the moment is, is Kumidwal. Um, there, are, there are a number of signs there that basically say, don't do this, yeah. which appeared um, last year, I think. Yeah, they did, yeah. Um, and it was really funny because um, one of them says like about drones, you know, no drones mm. need to be flown here. And and uh, the funny part about that is 
as I was stood there reading the sign, um, a helicopter from a local establishment <laughs> flew in and literally landed in Kamidwal, which oh, I've never seen before. No, they don't tend to do that, do they? No, and it was quite unusual, but I got this great photograph of like no drone, no drone sign, and then there's a big helicopter landing. Cool. But anyway, I think, you know, signs like that, I'm a curious person, so if you say to me, don't yeah. go beyond this point, I'll be like, all right, why not? Let why me go and have a look why. Yeah. Whereas if you were to say, don't do this, and here's the reasons why, yeah. it's such a simple thing, yeah. then like folk, I would hope, would be more inclined to buy into it because there's like, please don't do this, but there's also, here's the reason why, yeah. and um, rather than sort of guessing. And because clearly the signs are totally ineffective because people are still doing <laughs> whatever they want yeah. in that area. So I think like the education... Um, sort of like is the big part and it, it falls across all organizations you know there's a really nice there's a new sign again back in different member like the classic lay-by that um everyone seems to camp in stay in um there's a sign there about an adder colony <laughs> and it's sort of in, encouraging people not to like not to stay there really but it, but here's the reason why and i think that's really a nice encouraging sort of sign yeah. to have so I think so that's kind of a biggie for me um organizations need to take it on board and, and sort of like help us and and there's there's loads of different ways of doing that um the i think mountain training you know without getting into too much detail but um i think we could we have an amazing opportunity here to use the vehicle of mountain leadership or leadership awards and uh, perhaps go a bit more modular and go online a bit more and between training and assessment there could be some really good packages that uh, would require folk to demonstrate better understanding of like the environment that we walk in whichever in whichever is your environment but that environment you go in you do understand who owns it what what organizations protect it what authorities protect it what's our responsibilities and so on i think um there's a big big area there that we could definitely develop we are the education we are the educators for mountain users so folk who come to us are generally folk who are interested in the mountains and want to go out with us so you know as an ml holder we sort of need to educate our groups and it's an interesting one you know the days of being a jedi navigator on the ML as an ML holder or the ML training and assessment are well gone. You know, it's it should be be very much more a mountain leader who is very well rounded. You know, and yeah. can navigate if you have to. Is able to access digital navigation. Is able to talk about the mountains fluently. Is able to explain to people why um, wild camping in certain areas perhaps would be inappropriate. It'd be about um, what. Uh, what acronyms protect this land what does that acronym mean and, and what are the legalities based around it and so on so yeah. I think that to me is like what I see a mountain leader as is being an educator not a Jedi Nava yeah. but like well rounded and so how do we get there well we can do that through the process uh, the journey but then also like you know on an individual basis you know we, we individually need to initiate that learning so kind of like through the Mountain Training Association, or even externally, if, you, if you're mm. not part of that association, you can buy into matter experts, you know, to go into these areas and, and find out more information. You can, there's plenty of 
great information online. Yeah. I mean, Natural Resources Wales never used to have a website that functioned, and now <laughs> they have like this website, which is like um, quite incredible. I mean, if you if you're bored and you've got nothing else better to do, spend half an hour on Natural Resources Wales because it's a big website. There's a lot of layers to it, and if you go searching in within that site then you will discover loads of things about some of the areas you might traditionally and normally walk in and that's one website one website there are many others that complement yeah. that but it's about like you then going into those places and, and like and, and doing some research um and that could just be because i like, you want to research the walk tomorrow the walk you go on tomorrow don't just look, look at a map and go well navigationally i'm going to do x y and z but actually going like you know visit these other sites and think well you know do i really know what's here and who yeah. owns this land and what are we walking over and is it protected and why is it protected and i think that's kind of like where we need to get to um you can take it further as well i mean you can volunteer there's loads of organizations yeah. you know national park here has a voluntary warden service uh which is quite incredible really i mean you get loads of training and then you go on the hill and you you help educate people mm. um and and you know coming back to this idea of giving back and providing opportunities for things so i think like there are a number of ways for folk to be become better informed able to offer more advice and so on but education is the, is the yeah. biggie so it's like a journey isn't it once you even once you're qualified you're still on that journey aren't you yeah learning massively. about the places and, and picking up new information and challenging thoughts and ideas and, and as well it's it's really important that we do that yeah i think so i think there's there's no there's no reason not to be able to find out more about the environment you're work, working in or walking in because we have so much access and there's a lot of amazing information that's yeah. out there. Whereas before, like, you know, when I started this journey, it was about um, wandering to some random contour feature yeah. 20k away with a candle in the middle of the night. You know, it was just a bit nuts. And um, and it's it's more further. And, and the accessibility to information, again, you know, I'd have to go to the library. So often when I was, you know, the age I was at, I couldn't be asked. So, yeah. and it wasn't necessarily a driven requirement. Whereas now, like, you can instantly be on the mountain. You can actually be on the mountain, stood next to something damn cool, and you can, like, take a photograph, and it tells you what it is. There's, it's just incredible. Yeah. So I think there's no reason not to, like, be able to, like, initiate our own learning, get excited about it, and then, like, and, and, then, and then hopefully that sort of, like, breeds onto people that we take out into the mountains as well. Paul, I think we've probably talked long enough. Mm. Um, it's been absolutely fantastic. Was there anything you wanted to add before we do close? No, I think like um, I think like you know the Upland thing and the future of it. Uh, you know what is the future? I generally don't know. Um, but one thing I would say, and I've always said that you know I'd love to uh, be able to see 30, 40, 50 years in. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to still them, <laughs> but like you know, leave the area for a bit and then come back in 30 years' time and see what's changed. I'd love to see that, or maybe even do it the other way. You know, if we could zip back 100 years and see, or a couple hundred years and see what it was like, that would be like, that would be like fascinating, That'd like really, truly fascinating. Really interesting because places change, don't they? That's, don't they? That's just fantastic. yeah, yeah. Paul Poole, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you for listening, folks. That was a Outdoor Lives podcast brought to you 
by mycrane.co.uk. You can listen to it ad-free on my Patreon channel. That's patreon.com forward slash mycrane. And if you listen through Patreon, you also get the each episode as it's released. Thank you for listening. Bye now.